Sales enablement is often called in to be the voice of the salesperson, which yeah. I think is really important to any time that you're in either the driver's seat or an influential seat in some of these buying decisions. So I think it just depends on you know, what service you're looking at. Sales enablement is a consumption-based model. Just because we bought the licenses doesn't mean that the salespeople are going to use it. So I have to make sure that I'm going to purchase something that ultimately is going to be worth every seller's time. They're not going to get up and walk out of the room because if they do, I failed. Welcome to another episode of the How to Sell podcast. I'm your co-host, I actually don't like saying that, Dave, because I'm your host, Luigi Preston Indy. <laughs> but unfortunately, I have a co-host who is a Chelsea fan. We haven't spoken about that. You're a Chelsea fan, Dave. Big Chelsea fan after even my daughter's named Chelsea, which uh, ah. gives a glimpse into the, the, the craziness in this house. Yeah, well, Chelsea's doing great things at the moment, you know, winning against Lutton Town. One nil for those football fans out there. But this is not a podcast to talk about football, even though we always start the episode talking something about football. But uh, yes, we've got a great episode this week, David. Um, again, jumping into the trenches, um, talking to another incredible um, person from the enablement space. Um, but what was your key takeaway from the last session with, with Regan? I think it's just leveraging the power of, of buying and letting bringing in the team members see where else you know the vendor can help other parts of the business mm. without just focusing and being one dimensional. Um, that's how that uh, provider lost the deal on, yeah. on that case. That was a pretty interesting, wasn't it? it was. Yeah. Well, we'll jump into this week's episode, and we're pretty fortunate and privileged to have somebody from an absolutely enormous brand where a lot of people probably use the platform in some capacity if they're buying online and they might not even know it. But just want to say welcome to the How to Sell podcast, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're pretty excited. And obviously, uh, I heard you recently on one of our good friends' <laughs> podcasts, Donald C. Kelly, the sales evangelist, and you dropped some Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. But before we jump into today's session, we'd love to get your, you know, just a bit of background um, and how you got into enablement. Obviously, you've worked with some you know, huge brands such as Google, but uh, but yeah, why enablement? Yeah, good question. Um, so probably like many of the folks that are listening uh, and you guys as well, uh, I started with carrying a bag. So I actually started in sales to put myself through college. Uh, I sold large travel packages um, and then I was supposed to, my degrees in criminology, I thought I wanted to be a parole officer actually. Um, but I found, <laughs> I found that I could make more money in sales than I could as a parole officer. Um, and so I did uh, sales for a long time, everywhere from like inside sales, SDR work, uh, all the way up to enterprise sales. Um, mm. And then I was that person that would get up in the middle of our training and I would leave right? Cause I didn't think it was worth my time. <laughs> uh, and so at the time Google said to me like, Hey, you either need to go to the training or you need to figure out something better. Uh, and I was like, well, give it to me. I'll figure out something better. So that's how I got my start in enablement before enablement yeah. was really a thing is getting up and leaving trainings that I didn't think were worth my time. <laughs> and our, it's funny because I remember when we started working together oh, over a year ago, it would have been over a year ago now. Um, I remember you telling me that story and saying, yeah, I got up out of training one day and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be training you and your team. <laughs> what if you get up and walk out? <laughs> Sayonara. <He's> out. 
<laughs> yeah. But that's really interesting, right? Because obviously I feel you, I feel that pain because obviously as a, as a sales professional my whole life, I've been thrown into sales training sessions and you kind of sit there and switch off um, in some cases. So uh, I actually would love, just before we obviously jump into our topic of, you know, the how to sell, but um, there's one thing that you do very differently from an enablement perspective that not a lot of companies actually execute, which I think more companies should do, which is the teach back. Can you maybe just talk us through the teach back model that you've incorporated the practicums um, in your business? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's, it's pretty intuitive, right? Um, so it doesn't feel like something unique that we're doing. It just feels like something that everyone should be doing, to be honest with you. But uh, so a lot of the programs that we do, the managers are actually the professors or the sellers are the yeah. professors, right? Because they're really the ones that are doing it day in and day out. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if I'm not going to lead a, a training on how to create the best proposal, I'm going to go out and get the last three AEs that signed big deals mm. um, and have them come in and talk about their proposal process, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and so we've actually found that to be pretty, pretty successful mm. at Stripe. Um, you know, uh, everyone is kind of in a give get relationship where the AEs want to sh show off what they've done. Like yeah. they worked really hard at it. So we want to give them an opportunity to show off what they've done. And then the SDRs and other folks are really eager to learn. So it seems to be a nice flywheel effect, if you will, mm. um, that's working for us at the moment. That's great. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've loved it. And I've obviously had the privilege um, and the pleasure of seeing it live. And uh, it's awesome, you know, because it's a different level of respect as well, right? When you've got an SDR or an AE hearing from somebody that has been there or is still doing it, um, mm. they just see it from a different perspective. Yeah, I think, I mean, Luigi, you were doing a training for us a while back. And uh, during the training, you're like, I don't know, let's give it a whirl. And you picked up the phone and made a cold call, right? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was really powerful in the room. And now all of the managers do that as professors for like a very similar enablement session that we do where they're like, okay, everyone, we did the, you know, the programmatic research, we did this, we did that, like, let's pick up the phone and they pick up the phone in the room and they do a cold call. Yeah, so, yeah. Pretty powerful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. It was a good yeah. one. I must admit, my stomach does drop every time I do that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm always worried what's going to be the outcome of this. Um, yeah. 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 Well, obviously, our, our the, the framework of our, our show here is about we really want to help sellers understand how they can how they can position themselves when they're engaging with buyers. And obviously, Katie, even though you're in a position where you're building the enablement roadmap, you're also buying and you're buying software and you're buying services all the time. Um, so we'd love to really understand from an enablement perspective, where do like, are you the influencer or are you the ultimate decision maker when it comes to buying products? Yeah, good question. So like in all things, I think it depends, right? So if mm. I'm going out and buying a sales enablement platform, like a, a high spot or something like that, then obviously I'm in the driver's seat yeah. um, because that's kind of my realm of, of kind of my domain expertise. Um, however, there have been situations where I'm an influencer mm. and my level of influence, it really depends on 
you know, not only what position I'm in now, but what I've done in the past, right? Like I've stood up CRMs in past roles. And so anytime that we're looking to do a CRM integration or a plugin or something like that, people often come um, my ways. And I find this to be the same for a lot of my kind of colleagues in the sales enablement world where sales enablement is often called in to be the voice of the salesperson, which I think is really important to any time that you're in uh, either the driver's seat or an influential seat um, in some of these buying decisions. So I think it just depends on, you know, what service you're looking at. Mm. That's an interesting one there, Katie. And um, can you walk us through where you were brought into a decision buying process in a good way and on the flip side in a in a bad way we sort of put you put you back up you know potentially where you may have been in the last minutes or you know do you have a situation on both sides yeah for sure so i think in situations where it's worked well is um obviously it all goes back to the pain point right like mm. what problem are you going to solve for the salespeople? Um, and so in those situations, obviously, there's a lot of momentum and a lot of energy that comes, uh, I can just speak for myself, for me, mm-hmm. and trying to help solve that problem, right? So uh, conversation intelligence tools, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that, where I think there's a lot of value to, that could be added to to a salesperson's motions. Um, times when it hasn't worked as well, usually... Usually for me, it's, uh, and this is a bias on my side, where I feel like you're going to increase the operational burden to a salesperson. So if another team needs better reporting or, you know, they need a better tool to do X, Y, Z, I think if they don't bring sales enablement in early, like sales enablement is often going to be the blocker because we have to be the sales, you know, the voice of the salesperson. That's really interesting. And have you, where have you um, found yourself like having to influence someone to implement a solution where you know that your team needs this particular coaching service product, but you don't have the buying power? How, how have you influenced that decision maker within the business? Yeah, I think you have to create FOMO, right? Like uh, people at their core don't want to miss out on something. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important, like when I've been successful at influencing budget, especially right now when mm. budget is hard to come by, mm. right? It's like, what is the cost of not doing something or where are they going to lose if they don't put this into play? Nice, nice. Yeah, I love that. The cost of inaction, right? Mm. And I'd yeah. love to know, like, is there a recent purchase that you've made where the selling organization helped you define that cost of inaction and how did they do it? Cause I, I always love to hear those stories. Like how did, how does a selling organization actually share with the buyer? Hey, this is the cost of not doing anything. So I think ultimately like in my role, I become the salesperson. Mm. Um, you know, in those situations, right? So if I'm a really good salesperson in those situations, and maybe this is just because I've carried a bag in the past, yeah. but <laughs> I need to create that FOMO for my salespeople so that ultimately they're the ones that are pushing it through. And I'm just kind of behind the scenes, making sure that their voices are heard, right? So what are they unable to do without this? Where are they missing revenue because they don't have this? Um, 
how are they, you know, less productive because they don't have something. Again, it's like this whole fear of missing out because there's gains for sure. You can sell on gains, but it's easier to sell on FOMO in my opinion. Because mm. that's the emotion, right? For sure. And yeah. no one likes to be left behind, yeah. right? Especially like I work in the tech space. No one wants to be kind of, <laughs> you know, left behind in the tech space. Pardon the interruption, but I have to let you know about this free resource. The Growth Forum newsletter has over 10,000 subscribers that are learning how to sell. Each and every week, we send you tips, strategies, and also some tools in tech on how to achieve the most out of your sales pipeline. If you're ready to level up, sign up for free at growforum.io forward slash newsletter and get the first issue this week. Yeah. Now this is actually, I'm, I'm, it's really interesting because that's a, that's a very different perspective. The perspective that you're bringing is that you're becoming the salesperson internally and, and that's the way you're influencing others, not just the buying committee, but also the people that need to use the product, right? Because there's nothing worse sure. than buying something and the people that you're meant to serve with that product or service, if they don't come on board, then it becomes a purchase that doesn't deliver the right ROI. Well, and then it's not worth any of our time, yeah. right? Like, why do I want to spend time? Because all of these purchases take a lot of time and a lot of effort, yeah. not only to just get the, you know, signed and get the budget, but to implement and onboard and all of those things. Mm. Like, it's a big time investment to actually purchase something. It's like two cycles, right? Like you mentioned there, it's the, the initial cycle of getting the product in the business and then the cycle two of adoption of ensuring that they win it. It's similar to like in, in any tech business where, you know, you made the sale, now they need to implement the product. Otherwise, Stripe doesn't make any money unless it's implemented. Um, I mean, sales enablement is a consumption-based model, mm. right? Like we, just because we bought the licenses doesn't mean that the salespeople are going to use it. So yeah. I have to make sure that to your point that I'm going to purchase something that ultimately is going to be worth every seller's time they're not going to get up and walk out of the room because if they do, I failed. Yeah. Has that, and, and do you mind me asking, has that, has that happened in your, in the last? Oh, for years? sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I like think about, I think about a time where, you know, sales leadership was saying, and, and they rightfully so were saying like, hey, we need to go back to the fundamentals. Um, mm. We need to go back to the fundamentals, bring in folks, have them train all of our salespeople. We did it. We spent a lot of money doing that. But the salespeople themselves, like the AEs, especially experienced AEs back in that situation, didn't want to be there. They didn't yeah. feel like they really needed the fundamentals. And I hadn't created an attraction economy mm. where, you know, they saw the value. So yeah. I mean, in that situation, I would say that I failed because I didn't call out the um, the disconnect between what I was seeing from senior leadership and the real needs of the business when I made that purchase. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so on that point, right, you know, you've mentioned that you failed, but from a seller's, from the selling organization, so the organization that engaged with you to bring those fundamentals in place, right? Because I'm assuming that was an external company. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't would you expect like looking back now? Would you expect that, or re upon reflection, shouldn't they have done 
uh, an analysis to define that this could be a problem that your sellers might not want to hear the fundamentals and this is maybe a strategy that we need to use first? So probably, mm. right? But I think that goes into like, I obviously didn't sign a renewal with that company. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, so I think, you know, just looking back on, back on that particular situation, like we trained thousands of people or attempted to train thousands yeah. of people globally using this vendor and it didn't work. I would have loved for them to say like, okay, time out, something's not working, let's pivot. Yeah. So I think it was on them to keep on going and, and frankly, again, on me to keep the sessions going, but ultimately they sold us what we thought we wanted and needed at the time. So I mm. think if there's any quote unquote blame to be put on them, it's that they didn't pivot halfway through. Yeah. And that's what I would expect from vendors nowadays. If something's not working, they need to be looking at this like I am, like a consumption-based business. Mm. And if if people aren't consuming, then like time out. Let's let's rethink this purchase. Yeah. Cause I think what like what you're describing, that's that's what creates future biases. Like people then start to when they're looking at other solutions because of past experiences, it creates sort of some concerns and fears. And this is a topic that we've discussed, um, not just with others, but it's a topic that I'm constantly talking to sellers about. It's needing to understand the past because that will help you determine the business case. And if that's something that's happened previously, then you can at least say, you know, in that business case, you can build out what is the strategy if this occurs, right? And how are we going to work through that? Because that could become the ultimate blocker, right? That could become, in your case, if you're selecting another vendor for training, you might say, well, I haven't got the confidence in you because we haven't addressed something that actually occurred previously. Yeah, and I, I think what you're calling out is, you know, you need to meet your, your buyers where they're at, mm. right? Like in this situation, I was the buyer um, and they, what I needed at the moment was flexibility. I needed a, a vendor or someone selling to me that could be agile. Right. Um, so I think it's about, again, meeting, meeting folks where they're at and really conveying that you can do things like that because mm. some vendors aren't flexible, right? Like yeah. if I go out and buy 50 licenses and then I, hire 400 people like i need someone that can scale with me yeah, right yeah, yeah so those are other things that you have to think about when you're buying it's just how at like if i latch myself to this vendor because that's what you're doing is you're latching yourself or creating a relationship with this vendor are they able to go with me over the course mm. of time mm. that's a great point point. and what does like when you're working with a vendor um katie and what does a business case look like how is it presented uh, to you and then how it what's the process internally uh, to get that signed off uh, within a business of, of stripe size yeah i mean it's a good question i don't know that it, that my experience has been any different than what i've heard in like typical sales trainings mm -hmm. right i always say that for me moving to an internal role sometimes i find myself working harder on my sales skills than i did when i was carrying a bag yeah. <laughs> right so because i need to you know sh going back to the fomo i need to show why now why the mm. solution what people are missing out on i have to build my champions like all of those things that you would do in a normal sales cycle if i was selling 
to customers externally, I have to do internally. Mm. And at the end of the day, I have to stand behind my decision because these are also the people that are doing my performance review. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so I have to make sure that the sale really goes well. And it's a lot more added pressure, if anything. Yeah, for sure. For mm. sure. Right. Like I need this one to stick. It's yeah. not a sale that I can say like, oh, good to go. Like move on to the next go. Yeah. Uh, I have to put my political capital behind this one. Yeah. Because your reputation's at stake as well, right? This is the thing um, that for sure. If you're endorsing something and it doesn't work, then it could negatively impact your brand within the business, right? For sure. I mean, everyone loves to say that like you learn for your failures, and you absolutely do. Yeah. But like you don't, you don't want to get known for your failures, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have to make sure that, you know, you might fail once in a while, but you have to have more wins and losses at the end of the day. Yeah. And every time you make a purchase, it is a win mm. or a loss. Yeah. And is that sometimes like in the back of your head when you're looking at a large purchase or a purchase of some form and you're kind of going, you know, if this doesn't work, how is this going to impact the way my peers view me or the way my bosses view me? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, I am spending the company's money. Yeah. Right. Um, or I am taking up seller's time, which in my opinion is probably the most valuable resource that the mm. company has. And so it's on me to be really diligent about that. Yeah. And it's great psychology getting into the seller's mind here when selling to enablement, <laughs> all the things that they need to be really aware yeah. of, right? The time of the team, reputation of the buyer, um, all these key factors here that a lot of people just miss in the in that buying journey. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. it doesn't get addressed. Hmm. Right. And we heard Well, that. and I think sales enablement also sits within a really interesting spot, or at least it has for me. Um, because ultimately you're kind of in this triangle, if you will, of like you have stakeholders that are salespeople. When you're making a technology decision, you also have stakeholders that are systems and tools and processes mm -hmm. people. Usually sales enablement flows up to some sort of revenue operations mm -hmm. leader, mm -hmm. right? So you have them. And then you also usually have HR or L&D. Yeah. Um, so those are all of, you know, when I think about my buying committee and who I need to influence to make a purchase, I need to influence all of those yeah. folks. And you've also got marketing, right? Because marketing is doing- Oh, for sure the top of funnel that's feeding your SDR sort of unit. Um, yeah. So that's quite a while. It's interesting. And it's really interesting because we, 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 we spoke with um, Gal, who's the founder of Aligned and they build digital sales rooms and he shared some really interesting stats and what they've seen that if you're in a small, medium enterprise or small, medium deal, if you think there's three stakeholders, there's usually six. If you're in a mid to large, if you think there's six stakeholders, there's usually 12 right so the actual buying committee is bigger than what we first think about so and it's interesting that you shared that because you just kind of mapped out what that looked like yeah i mean there's different decision making pro like frameworks if you will whether yeah. you want to use rapid or racy or you name it but i think whenever you're selling to someone you need to understand not only who the decision maker is but like who needs to agree who needs mm -hmm. to influence or consult or you know understanding kind of that whole framework is really important 
Yeah, this is so good. And could you maybe just tell us like a really good experience that you've had buying something and what did the salesperson do that really made that experience memorable for you? So I think if I think back to kind of, I'll, I'll take you through a technology sale. So I made a, a purchase of a CRM a few yeah. years ago at a, at a previous company. And I think what the salesperson did at the time um, was just be brutally honest, mm. right? Like just the brutal honesty. I would also say at the time I, I didn't recognize it, but she was definitely more of a consultative sales approach. Mm. Uh, and she didn't necessarily care about the licenses. So I really kind of going back to this idea that you have to sell on a consumption-based model, she took that to heart because mm. it was like, look, I'm actually gonna undersell you on licenses and I'm gonna put you on a managed uh, services contract and then we'll increase it as we go, right? But it's on me to make want people want to use the CRM, yeah. which I thought was, no, I've never found a seller that says I love my CRM, right? Yeah. So like that was a tough position for her to put herself in. So I think just she put herself in a position where she had stake in the game mm. um, and responsibility to make it work. And I think that made it an easier or, or less of a risky buy for me. Mm. I like that. It's like she's put her, like you said, skin in the game, she understands mm -hmm. the CRM's a massive, massive purchase for any business. And adoption is the killer yeah. of, of CRM's. Well. So that's where she's put her, her neck on the line to, to mm. ensure that, you know, it works uh, and you have her support. I like that. Do you have a great product, but are struggling to reach more customers? Are you spending hours on sales activities that aren't generating results, leaving you feeling frustrated and discouraged? The Sales OS program is a step-by-step -step operating system that will help you slash your selling hours in half while rapidly growing your revenue. In under just two weeks, you can be well on your way to creating predictable revenue. In Sales OS, we'll show you how to build predictable sales pipeline, build lasting relationships with your customers, and sell more in less time. The art of negotiation and motivating and leading a successful sales team. If this sounds like something that you need in your business, visit growforum.io forward slash sales and apply to see if you have the right mindset to achieve predictable revenue. The Sales OS program is your ticket to predictable revenue. Don't wait any longer. Apply today. It's not like when you buy a house, right? Like no, at least when right. I've bought properties or something, it's like, okay, you bought your house. Adios, amigo. Hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it was the exact opposite of that. So Yeah. And it's an interesting model, right? And also she obviously sold it, but I'm assuming because you hadn't bought heaps of licenses at the start, that the salesperson continued to engage with you through that process? For sure. Yeah. I mean, we had bi-weekly calls. How's it going? Mm. Um, she would send me the, you know, the results. Like, here's how many active users you have. Here's new, how many contacts have been uploaded. Mm. Here's how many people have pulled reports. You know, so again, kind of just going into this, she had a stake in the game. Yeah, yeah that's intense. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. it's very different to the modern day model, right? Where it's whole... I sell handball off to the next person and mm. like you said, adios. Um, and somebody and then all of a sudden that relationship is kind of potentially lost, right? Which I'm I'm a big advocate for that relationship funnel. You know, you're as a salesperson, the 
your your bank, your equity is in the relationships that you build because no matter where you go, potentially you can actually bring those relationships with you. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I would like to think that her comp was on like total revenue, right? (laughs) Um, And not activated revenue. But I mean, either way, um, she made me feel like I was really important. And like I said, that she had skin in the game. So So that's a a good point. What uh, Katie mentioned, right? It comes down to the compensation model uh, for that seller on, you know, how are they incentivized? Uh, if it's mm-hmm. to go along the journey re- retention, then it's a smart move that she did. But if it's just on on net new sales, then it's sold Katie, bang onto the next one. So it's inbred into, into the model. Yeah, and I think that's important. You know, if you're a a, a sales leader or building a company or, or you're in charge of compensation, I think early in my career I underestimated how compensation plays a role and what Mm. people sell, what people buy, Mm. all of those things matter. Yeah. And let's, uh, let's flip the, flip the funnel a little bit here. Uh, Let's go back to top of the funnel when dealing with salespeople, what triggers, you know, you to take a meeting if someone's reaching out to you? Yeah. Um, They, you know, this is tried and true. Uh, And actually, Luigi, you preach this till you're you're blue in the face, which is like, they know me, right? Or they've attempted to know me. Um, They're not trying to sell me something that's kind of either off the shelf, or I could be interested, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, It's the exact opposite of folks that call me and they're like, hey, you know, they give me kind of their spiel. And I say, what company do you think I work for? <laughs> and it's usually they're telling me a company I worked for two years ago, yeah. right? Or three years ago. So mm. um, I think personalization and just understanding where I might be in my buying cycle is is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Love it's it. important, right? I, I, and I actually got one. Oh, I've got it a couple of times actually saying, hey, we can help you. Um, scale your restaurant business. I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's amazing. I don't, I don't know where my restaurant business is, but if you, <laughs> like, it's great know, research. You know, yeah, yeah, I we... don't cook. You can ask my kids. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, this has been awesome, Kate. I actually like, I've, I've got notes of my takeaways, and uh, I could, we could probably turn this into like four different episodes because there's mm. so much quality content that you've mm. shared with us. Um, but we are almost at the time to wrap up. But for our listeners and for our audience that would love to engage and learn more about what you do, where is the best place? And we'll obviously put that in the show notes, but where is the best place for them to find and engage with you? Uh, great question. LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm US based. So LinkedIn yep. is kind of king or queen here. So just uh, hit me up there and we can take the conversation forward. Yeah, awesome. Well, this has been fantastic, Katie. Just want to say thank you very much for being a guest, but also um, for, like I said, you had a really big impact on me when I was able to see those practicums live. It really did change my perspective on what's possible from an enablement perspective. And I, I believe that is a concept every enablement person should be able to, should see live because um, it's fantastic when you flip it, right? When you flip it from, you're not the facilitator, you're actually empowering the people that you're serving to become the facilitators. And uh, it's such a great concept. So thank you very much for the impact that you've had on me. Uh, well, thank you guys uh, for doing this. I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and they're great. So thanks for having me on. 
Thank you, Katie. Hey, Dave, what an awesome, awesome session. Yeah, that was great. There were so many takeaways there from Katie. I guess, like, one of the big things, you know, if I talk about my biggest takeaway from that was, you know, the risk of of her role when she's selling internally. Yeah. She's selling, she's, you know, she's using the company's money. Like she mm. said, she needs to make sure her boss is, is on board. And then she needs mm. to make sure her team is on board, make sure that they adopt the sales training, the tools, whatever it is that she's yeah. buying. It's, it's, that is a really tough role. Yeah. And, you know, also I think something that I probably didn't consider was, what if it doesn't work? Yeah? yeah, the brand impact. And, you know, we sometimes look at, oh, if it doesn't work, you know, that they're spending money that might not deliver an ROI. But mm. that emotional aspect is probably has more of an impact because that personal brand internally could be tarnished if something doesn't work well. So for me, that was a pretty big, pretty, pretty big takeaway. Yeah, like she, she used the term, um, like politician, right? I've yeah. got to use my political uh, capital. And we know like any politician, you're only as good as your last decision that you've made. So if yeah. you make, you know, you could make five great ones, make a really bad one, and you're almost one foot out the door. Mm. Um, yeah. People start to turn against you. You know, there's someone better that can take your role, someone better that can move the company forward. So yeah. it's, you know, I never thought about it in, in that way where you're, it's like a little campaign, political campaign internally to, yeah. to buy something and then to sell it internally, like that cycle. So I think from mm -hmm. a from a seller, um, if I if we flip the hat, you know, it's great to understand these things because then as soon as you you're aware of them, it's mm -hmm. how can you help Katie in her role, knowing yeah. what you know now and the challenges mm -hmm. that she has. How do you help uh, Katie overcome those? Because um, that will make you stand out as the supplier of choice versus someone who yeah. doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump in. So how would we sell to Katie? Like with you know another enablement folk, different perspective, very different. You know, a little bit different um, social style in comparison to Regan, right? And obviously, we've got other incredible enablement folks coming up as well. So we'll dive into this. But I think the first thing. Obviously, in any initial conversation that you'd have, if I was selling to Katie for the first time, and in fact, I've had the pleasure, I was that person carrying the bag and winning that account with Stripe, and Katie was my key stakeholder. Um, in understanding her need, like she said, that FOMO, she spoke about you know, the cost of doing nothing, et cetera. That example that she shared of saying, hey, I used a previous vendor, we, went, we did all this training, it didn't fundamentally work. I actually did pull that out early in the conversation with her. Um, How'd you do that? Because I asked past-based questions, right? I asked questions around, um, you know, talk to me, talk me through the last initiative that you did from an, you know, using an external vendor. What worked well? What would you do differently? Mm -hmm. Right? I asked those questions, and Katie shared the answers. Katie said, "Hey, this is what 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 I like, but this is this didn't work." right? This was the impact. So in understanding the impact and the issue that she had experienced previously, I was unable to bring that into the proposal. I was able to bring that into our conversation and we spoke about it. And that's where I positioned a few options to allow her to have that consumption-based model. Have you ever had <clears throat> a, a time where 
you, you could sense that they had a bad experience in the past, but they're not being open and sharing that. Um, and it's critical, you know, for you to put the, you know, to have that information to put mm -hmm. a solid proposal together. Have you worked around that? That's, you know, that's why I use the what what worked well. And I don't ask questions like, hey, what didn't work well? I say, if you could go back mm. and do it again, what would you do differently? Because it's not a negative, it's not a negative question. Yeah. And you're not asking them to say, well, because sometimes, especially if they chose the previous provider, they don't want to say, hey, you know, this is this was a disaster. This didn't work and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So say, what would you do differently? Yeah. It's kind of a coaching based question. Right. Think about it. A coach would ask, Hey, this is great. This is what I saw you do. Well, what did you do? Well, what would you do differently if you could go back and do it again? So it's a, it's a, it's a coaching question, but you're using it in the sales process. And so that then allows them in a safe space because it's not a negative question. They don't have to go on the defensive. Yeah. So tension doesn't rise up. Think about that relationship tension. It's still reduced. So they say, well, this is what I would have done differently. And say, great, okay, thanks for sharing that. And do you mind me asking, if that's what you've done differently, what was the impact of X, right? What could have been the outcome if you did this? And all of a sudden, you're getting a bit of a picture into what occurred, right? And then as a salesperson, I would then craft exactly like I did in that scenario, I would then craft what the desired state needs to look like in the business case for change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's great. And create a couple of scenarios around that because that's the other key is options is pretty important to a person like Katie. Yeah. Mm. Providing a few options so that internally um, Katie can then go around that buying committee and see which is the best option that's going to get the best adoption. Right. Yeah. Because that was something that's important. She mentioned adoption is, is key. Yeah, this is not a, she's not working with a team of 10 sellers. She's working with a team of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all yeah. over the world, you know, in the thousands. Yeah, the right? impact will be shown if they, if something's Correct. not adopted or if something's not working. Absolutely, right? So that's a couple of things that I would probably, you know, advocate to any seller, anyone listening to this, anyone watching this. It's diving into the past is is an is an amazing opportunity to help you scope what the future state needs to look like and if you're not doing it just start start by doing when you did x what worked well and if you could go back and do it again what would you do differently just start with those questions and you'll be amazed at the intel that you'll gather and how you can then start to think about what that future state needs to look like and embed that into your proposal. Yeah, I think that's a perfect note to uh, end this episode on, Louis. Well done. Yeah, awesome. So for uh, all of our folks out there, all of our, our community members, um, we have, we're going to continue down this path. So we've got um, another episode that's going to be dropping, and that's uh, with Jacob, Dave. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, Jacob's yep. the first one. Uh, yep, it's coming out. Yeah, and that is, uh, he's a CFO. So very different take. He's going to look at things from a different lens, um, which is important, right? Um, obviously, then we've got, we've got other episodes dropping, um, continued with enablement, continued with CFOs. So this is critical, right? Because we, in order for us 
to sell during any economic climate, we need to sell the way our buyers buy. So these conversations will help you get a different understanding and change your perspective on how you can sell to the way your buyers buy.